Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. Hey, we are three weeks away from one of our biggest events of the year. We call it Flannel by the Fire. It's a kind of a fall festival event. We've got pumpkin patches and axe throwing and campfires and wear a flannel shirt and all that kind of fun stuff. Happens on October 22nd. That's only three Sundays away from today, and we hope that you are planning to be here. Uh, one of the ways that you can help uh, help us get that uh, event pulled off, uh, besides volunteering to Mana Station, and we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks, uh, but out on the uh, the office glass, or the window to the office uh, complex out there, uh, there's a kind of a wish list, some some things we've registered registered for on Amazon. If you could pick one of those up and help us out, some just some supplies and uh, toys and game stuff that'll help that flannel by the fire event be as fantastic as it can be. And hope you'll check those out before you uh, leave today. And also want to remind you that next Sunday on October 8th is our ministry fair. First time we've done this. And what we're going to be doing uh, at this ministry fair, both before and after the service, you want to come early, there'll be donuts. I know how to get you here. There'll be donuts. Uh, come early, stay a little bit after the service next week, and you get a chance to talk with some different ministry leaders throughout our congregation and help find your place of service in or through the church. We'll talk about that a little bit today. We'll talk about it more next week and give you that chance to, uh, to be a part of that ministry fair uh, next Sunday. So don't miss that. Well, we're in this series of sermons that we're calling Say Yes This Fall. And the, the goal behind this series of sermons is for each of us to say yes to finding a place, to, uh, finding our way to participate in the kingdom of heaven. We've prayed, as Jesus prayed, thy will, be, uh, th th thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've changed those words to be, may up there come down here. We want the kingdom of God to be revealed in what we do. We want the kingdom of God to show up in this place where we live at this time when we live. Not just, I mean, yes, heaven's going to be great. Heaven's something to look forward to, and that's the kingdom of God. But until then, we believe as we read scripture, we read the words of Jesus, that the kingdom can happen right here. In Tuscarawas County, Ohio, of all places. It can happen right here. And who can participate in it? Well, those of us who call Jesus king. Those of us who follow Jesus, we can participate in the kingdom. We're called to do that. And so that's what this series is about, is we say yes to participating in the kingdom. So how do we make that happen? So we're looking at some ways that we can participate. Maybe again, maybe for the first time in a long time, maybe for the first time ever, how we can participate in the kingdom of heaven. So last week, I talked to you very, very directly about saying yes to the kingdom of heaven for the very first time. And I began some conversations last Sunday after our service about some people who were interested in being baptized and what that would look like in their lives. And I want you to know that invitation doesn't quit just because that sermon last week ended. And we would love to begin that conversation with you. Matter of fact, next week at the ministry fair, there'll be a place for you to talk to someone about what that might look like and, and, and start some, some conversations about what baptism would look like in your life, how we can make that happen in your life. Well, this morning we changed topic just a little bit. And to get there, I just need to ask you if you ever, rem if you remember the first time you ever stood on a diving board, the water below you, the deep, you're at the deep end, right? You're on the diving board. You remember the fear maybe, <clears throat> or maybe it was excitement. Maybe it was apprehension, maybe anxiety, maybe it was anticipation. I remember my first time that I stood on a high dive. I knew how to swim. My dad had been a lifeguard. He taught me how to swim really, really early. So I knew how to swim. I knew how to dive. But I was about eight or nine years old, and my Cub Scout pack has, was having a pool party at the Park and Rec pool in Johnson City, Tennessee. 
public pool, and there was a high dive. And we're all hot summer day, all us eight, nine-year-old Cub Scouts, we're in the water, we're splashing around. This big mass of humanity, the pool was busy that day. Seemed like there were hundreds of kids there, and our pack was there. We were having a good time. We'd had some hot dogs. We'd had some snow cones. We're swimming. We're splashing. When all of a sudden, somebody in the pack says, hey, let's all go off the high dive. I said, what? No, what? Yeah, yeah, I said, yeah, let's go off the high dive. I was scared. Sounds like fun. I'd never been off the high dive before. I was a little nervous, but what did I know? I didn't want to be left out. Everybody else was going to the high dive. I didn't want to be the only one still left in the shallow end of the pool. So off to the deep end we went, all us boys, us Cub Scouts, on our way to the deep end of the pool. We got in line for the high dive. There were like 40 kids there. It took a long time to get to the front of the line. But we said, we're joking, we're laughing, we're noogie, and we're doing all the stuff that the eight, nine-year-old boys do, not really paying attention to anything. And then all of a sudden, it's my turn. I'm at the bottom of the ladder for that 70,000-foot-high climb up that ladder to that high dive. That was at least 25 stories above the water. And so up the ladder I went. I'd been off diving boards before. I knew how to swim. It wasn't the problem. I'd gone up the one, maybe two steps onto a low dive before. Even at that pool, I'd been off the other dive. But this time, we're talking 2,000 steps. It was so high. And so climbing up this ladder, I go 40, 50 feet. I know it was probably 10. That's okay. But when you're little, everything's bigger, right? And I got up there, and I to the top of the diving board. I stood on the end, still holding on to the rails. My heart was racing. My palms were sweating. My stomach was turning. Honestly, I wanted to turn around and climb back down the ladder. But no, there's this whole line of kids at the bottom of the ladder. Go! Come on! Chicken! So out to the front of the, of the diving board, I went... One, two, go already! Right, right, right. One, two. Pride took over. Pride took over fear. I was too embarrassed not to. And so I just jumped down through gravity I went, splashing into the deep end of the pool. Guess what happened? I didn't die. I didn't drown. I didn't lose my breath. I didn't choke. As a matter of fact, it was kind of fun. I swam to the ladder, got out, got back in line to do it again. It was kind of fun. And I did it over and over again that day. And even still today, if there's a high dive, I'm going off of it. It won't be pretty. It's not as pretty in a swimsuit as it used to be. But I'll still go off that high dive. I discovered a very important principle for life that day. There are some things in life that you never find out how great they are unless you're willing to take a chance. Unless you're willing to risk it. Unless you're willing to make a bold choice. Unless you're willing to say yes and just jump in. You've learned that to be true, haven't you? You know, there are a lot of foods that I love today that I never would have found out how great they were if I'd never tried them. My parents love to eat, but they are not adventurous eaters. They kind of think ketchup spicy. You know the type. So if it hadn't been for taking a chance, I never would have discovered what really good Mexican food tastes like. Or sushi, one of my favorites. Or escargot. But I risked it. I took the chance. 
I thought, I gotta give it a whirl. I gotta tell you, that's some pretty good stuff. There are some things in life where you never know how great they are until you risk it, until you say yes, until you jump in. Well, the challenge before us today as we continue saying yes and participating in the kingdom of God is to say yes, to just jump in and to serve in the kingdom of God. Specifically, I've used this phrase for years around here, I love it, to find your place of service in or through the church. Because if we're going to participate in the kingdom, if, if up there it's going to come down here, we can't do it just sitting and watching. We have to participate. Jesus said, when we follow him, he said to us, come and die. How's that for a catchy slogan? That's what he said. Come and die. The University of Michigan did a study on volunteerism several years ago. They found that just the opposite is true. They found out that people who volunteer somewhere in their community, people who volunteer, people who serve other people, have a 60% lower premature death rate than those who don't volunteer. So friends, it's official. Volunteer or die. <laughs> That's why it's the message. Because you never know how great it is until you say yes, until you jump in. If you've got a Bible with you, with you join me today in 1 Peter chapter 2. It'll be on the screen. I want to begin unpacking for you a biblical truth that I think for many of you is going to be mind-blowing. It's going to be life-redefining for a lot of us. Let me give you some background before we get there. In the Old Testament, before the, the time of Jesus, God's Spirit worked through a select group of people to minister, to speak to, to serve His people, a select group of people who were known as priests. Now, there were very few priests Priests were a very small kind of inner circle of people. They were considered special people. They were considered anointed people. And there, were, there weren't very many of them. But God used this, this concept of a priest to serve his people. The priest had two primary responsibilities. These are important. The first thing the priest did was they represented the people to God. They went to God on the people's behalf. You, as an ordinary person, you could not go directly to God with your prayers, with your request. You could not go directly to God. You had to have a priest who would be a mediator between you and God, someone who would communicate to God for you. On your behalf, they would talk to God for you. They would offer the sacrifice for you. They would say the prayer for you. That was the primary, the, the number one primary job of a priest was to speak to God on your behalf. The second responsibility of the priest, second important responsibility of the priest was that they communicated to the people truth from God. See, it's kind of a two-way street. They talked to, to God for the people. They talked to the people for God. They communicated God's word to people. Now, when we get to the New Testament, this is, the, this is how it works in the Old Testament. When we get to the New Testament, Jesus arrives on the scene and the religious culture gets turned upside down. Jesus starts saying things like, hey, you, yeah, 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 you, you are the light of the world. Hey, hey, you, you, you yeah, ordinary person over there, you are going to be my witnesses to the end of the earth. And Jesus would make these really big statements about ordinary people doing religious things 
And Jesus said these things right in front of the religious establishment of the day, which kind of ticked them off. And then after Jesus was crucified and buried and resurrected and had ascended into heaven on a day that, they, that we call Pentecost, we read about it in the book of Acts, a bunch of the Jesus followers were gathered in a room in Jerusalem and they are all praying, they are worshiping to God, and all of a sudden they hear what sounds like a mighty rushing wind sweep through the room. And there's this unusual things that look like tongues of fire above each one of their heads. And it came to rest on every single one of them on that day of Pentecost. Not a select few. But God's Spirit was resting on every person. And from that moment on, as we read the rest of Scripture, as we read the rest of the experience of the church through, through centuries now, from that moment on, it was very clear that this idea of God's Spirit resting on uh, every single person who follows Jesus, that this thing is for every follower of Jesus. That, this, that every, every follower of Jesus now has access to God because Jesus is our mediator. That every follower of Jesus has this supernatural ability of the Spirit of God in them as a part of them. And that every follower of Jesus now has a new identity. And you say, well, what is that identity? Well, I'm glad you asked. That brings us to 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter writes, as you come to him, as you come to Jesus, as you put your faith in Jesus, as you are obedient to Jesus to follow him, to let him be the king of your life, to, to be obedient to him and follow him into the waters of baptism, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, you, ordinary person, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to, catch these words, to be a holy priesthood. Next slide, please. Are we dead? Next slide. It's on that. There it is. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I love the message paraphrase of the Bible. It translates this verse like this. But you are the ones chosen by God for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him. Listen to me. This is so important. If you are a follower of Jesus... God has a high calling on your life, and God has given you a new identity. I know this sounds crazy, especially to those of you who maybe grew up in a Catholic church, but you, you, follower of Jesus, you are a priest. This is what we sometimes call in the church the, the priesthood of all believers. We are all, as we follow Jesus, we are all priests. That means we've got two primary responsibilities. We speak to God and we speak for God. We speak to God and we speak for God. Now, without delving into too many centuries of church history, 
because we don't have time for that. And I'm the only one in the room who gets excited about reading that kind of stuff. So before we do that, somewhere, let me just paraphrase, somewhere along the line, in church history, somewhere along the line, churches decided that if we hire a few professional Christians, we'll even pay them a little bit, and then we can sit back passively and we'll watch them carry out the work of the ministry. Everyone else will sit on the sidelines. Everyone else would sit on their gifts and become like movie critics. They would watch those doing their professional duties and give them a thumbs up or a thumbs down on how they went. You're the clergy. They would say, we're the laity. You do it, we'll watch. We can't do it, you can do it. You do it, we'll watch. But that's not the picture that's painted in the New Testament. In the church of Jesus Christ, there's no distinction between our English words, clergy and laity. You know what? According to Scripture, according to the New Testament, we're all clergy. We're all priests. That's why pastors, like those on our staff here, we don't wear different types of clothing. We don't wear a robe or a collar. I won't even wear a tie, I mean, for goodness sakes. I, 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 I don't like titles. I don't like it when people, uh, I've gotten used to it finally. I've gotten used to it when people call me Pastor Larry, but I hate, hate, hate it when people call me Reverend. Please don't do that. Not even joking. I'll answer to about anything. I'll answer to Larry. I'll answer to, hey, you. I'll answer to, hey, uh, Megan's husband. I'll answer to your highness. Whatever you think's appropriate. But please don't call me reverend. You know, there's a phrase. Uh, I grew up with this phrase. Maybe, maybe some of you who grew up in the church, you heard this too. But uh, I, a phrase I wish we would permanently ban from our Christian vocabulary, our Christianese. One phrase that I think is so destructive and so just absolutely theologically inaccurate. And that is this phrase. We say about a person that he, especially if they work at a church like I do, we say that he or she is in full-time ministry. He's in full-time ministry. She's in full-time ministry. Now, I know what people mean when they say that. That means I work at a church. I get paid by a church to do church work. I get that. That's how they make their employment. That's how they make their living. But I completely disagree fundamentally with everything that statement stands for. I know what it's supposed to mean. But to say that some of us are called into full-time ministry, do you know what that suggests? That means that the others of us are called into part-time ministry. But, but Jesus didn't die on a part-time cross. And Jesus doesn't love you with a part-time love. And Jesus doesn't cover your sins with a part-time forgiveness. The day you gave your life to Jesus, you signed up for a full-time employment ministry agreement. And you ought to see yourself wherever God has placed you, in your family, in, your, in the marketplace, in your education, in the public sector, in the military, in manufacturing, in, in moving dirt, whatever it is you do, you ought to see yourself in that place as a full-time minister. Well, well, then, Larry, if that's our job, what's your job, Larry? You're standing up there in front of us. What's the pastor's job then? Well, our job, according to Ephesians chapter 4, is to prepare God's people, to equip God's people to do the work of ministry. You have a new identity. When Jesus' ministry opened for business, he didn't enlist the religious professionals. They're, they existed in the day. But that's not who Jesus went out and got. He didn't go to a rabbinical school or to a seminary and to find the best, the highest graduate, graduate rates to, to, to be the candidates. 
Instead, he went to some guys who had a fishing business, blue-collar guys. He went to a tax collector, somebody that was good with numbers. Jesus passed over those with masters of divinity degrees from the seminaries of the day to call ordinary people to whom God had given, given a new identity and a new calling. Your identity. You are a minister. You are in full-time ministry. No matter what you do for a living, you are a priest. And together we are a part of the priesthood of all believers. You are a chosen people, Second Peter says. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. That's who you are, friends. That is your identity. You are a royal priesthood. So let me go back for just a minute. Let me go back to the question that I started asking myself several months ago that kind of spurred this whole sermon series we're in. And the question is, what would it look like if all of us said yes to participating in the kingdom of God? What would it look like if all of us said yes to this new identity? Can you imagine if every follower of Jesus were to take this identity seriously, let's just start with this room. Just those of us in the room right now. Can you imagine the difference that we could make in Tuscarawas County? If every single one of us in the room took this seriously. How about you watching on, on the broadcast right now? What if you joined us? How about those of you who, who will be here next week that aren't here today for whatever reason? What if they jumped in too? What if there's about, right now, there's about 123 other churches in Tuscarawas County? What if all of us, what if all of us took this seriously? Can you imagine the difference we could make, not just in Tuscarawas County, but in Northeast Ohio, in Ohio, in the Midwest, in the Rust Belt, in the United States, around the world? Can you imagine just... Forget Stark County. Just stay here in Tuscarawas County for a minute. Can you imagine the difference we could make if all of us took this seriously? I mean, think about what, what 12 ordinary guys did in the Middle East to change the world centuries ago when Jesus said, come follow me. What could hundreds or thousands of us do today in this world that needs so much hope? Now, I know immediately what you're thinking. I know, I, I know the pushback you're giving me already. I, I, I can't do what you do. I can't do what pastors do. I can't do what this worship team does. I can't do what those musicians do. And that's good. Listen, that's good that you can't do those things because you've been given your own what you can do. Your own personalized spiritual gift. You have one. You have your own gift. Most of you probably have four or five gifts. Just a few passages later in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, each of you 
should use whatever gift. Remember, he's talking about being, a, being this royal priesthood, that you're a priest. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Notice, each of you should use. It's not something you should do. You should, it's, it's something you should do. It's something you should give, use the gift that God has given you. It's the right thing to do. First Corinthians, Paul writes in chapter 12, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. We are each unique. Go ahead, just turn to the person next to you. You've always wanted to tell them this and tell them you are unique. Yeah, you are unique. Yeah, you are unique. Here's what this means. We all have different gifts. I'm glad my gifts aren't the same as yours. That means we can get more done because we're doing what we're good at. We each have different gifts, and God has determined them. Not us. We don't pick our gifts. He doesn't give us the cattle. We got the, the Amazon toy catalog. Came in the mail this week. Caroline's flipping through the thing. Look, oh, I want this. I want this. We don't get to do He doesn't give us a catalog to pick our gifts. He picked them. He determined them. You had no more to do with determining your gift than you did determining where you were going to be born, who your parents were going to be, or the shape of your nose. God determines these things for you. There's a sign. I saw this sign outside of Colorado Dude Ranch years ago. I love this, this little sign. It says, we have horses for everybody. You can go pay the money, ride the horse. We have horses for everybody. For fast people, we have fast horses. For slow people, we have slow horses. For big people, we have big horses. For little people, we have little horses. For people who have never ridden horses before, we have horses that have never been ridden before. <laughs> But you know what? In God's ingenious design for his church, he gave us all different gifts. There are gifts for big people and little people. There are gifts for young people, gifts for old people. It doesn't matter. And get this. If everybody is using their gifts, well, this is the best part. You ready? If everybody's using their gifts, all the needs get met. Somebody should tweet that. That's good. If everyone's using their gifts, all the needs get met. Nobody ever gets burnt out. Nobody has to overwork because God distributes the gifts just as he determines. Do you realize how many different gifts people serving have already used to, and served us with today just so we could be here? From checking your kids into a warm and safe environment downstairs. Well, right now there are people teaching and leading and serving and rocking your kids right now. To the hours of prep and plan and practice that the worship team has gone through to, to allow us to experience the, the, the music and the time of worship today. To folks who have been in the kitchen since early this morning preparing communion, making coffee, from running all this equipment that, A, that you can see what's going on here and hear what's happening here, but so that this broadcast can go out around the world where people in different states like Texas are watching right now. 
if everybody is using their gifts, all the needs get met. You know, when I was a kid, and I went out to that rec center pool, and I'm standing on that high dive for the very first time, one of the things you got to think about is not just if you're going to jump, but how. I mean, there's different ways to go off a diving board, right? I mean, some people, when they go off the diving board, they're nose holders. I was my first time. You hold the nose. There are other people, they're just going to run with all their might and just run out as far as they can, do the Fred Flintstone, run in the air, and then fall down. They're just going in. There are some of them that are going to go in with a cannonball, make the biggest splash they can. There's somebody who's a little more graceful than me. They're going to do a swan dive and just big this beautiful dive into the water. And some idiot's going to do a flip. And some dum-dum, of course, is going to do a belly flop, right? Just because they can, right off the high dive. You know what? You don't know what you're going to be good at until you just try it. Just try it. You got to say yes. You got to jump in. And then once you jump in, it begins to inform you. And you're not stuck in just that one thing right there, but it informs you about where your gifts are. If you think your gift is teaching, you ought to just jump in and try teaching. If you think your gift is hospitality, then you need to say yes and jump in and get in some environments around here to make this a warm and welcoming place. If your gift is cooking, I'll be over because my gift is eating. (laughs) And I'll tell you whether or not you have the gift of cooking. (laughs) It is time for some of you to say yes and jump in. You have a new identity. As a priest in God's family, you have a supernatural gift that God has given you. That's why you're going to have a chance next Sunday to say yes at our ministry fair. That's why our ministry leader is going to be ready for you to sign up, for you to get your questions answered about where we need people to serve in and through the church, about where we need, where we have some holes, some, some blind spots that we need to have filled. For you to say, you know, I don't know if the church has ever done this, but I, my heart just, just really aches. I think we ought to be doing this. And you talk to somebody about that so we can say, let's do that. How can we make that happen? We can begin those conversations. That's why that ministry fair is here. So listen to me. This, this week, next week, for you, church, Faith Christian, this is a significant moment. This is you. This is us. We are at the base of the high dive. And let me just tell you, it's no accident that you're here today. Can I say that again? It's no accident that you're here today. It's no accident that you are a part of this church What's happening in and through this church is not an accident. I mean, think about it. Isn't it true that if God wanted you to, you could have been born and you could have lived in the third century? Isn't it true that if God wanted, you could have been born and lived in the 12th century? Isn't it true that if God wanted you, that you could have been born and lived all your life in Siberia or in Afghanistan or in Iceland or in Tahiti, which sounds awesome, but for some reason, For some reason, of all the ages of time on God's continuum, God chose you to be alive in 2023. In this country, sitting in this church building, 
at this moment. That's incredible. And I'll tell you something else. Like Brian said earlier, God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make junk. You are never going to read in the Bible, somewhere in the Bible, where God goes, whoops. <laughs> he doesn't do that. It's not there. In fact, I want, to follow, want you to follow along as I read some important words from Acts chapter 17. From one man, this is Paul preaching, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. Get these words. And he determined the time set for them. And he determined the exact places where they should live. Why? God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him. God determined that. He determined where you should be. In other words, from all the ages of time, God handpicked you to be born here, to be in this country, to be in this church building at this particular time. There's a reason for that because God does mistakes. Of all the ages of time, of all the nations in the world and in the history of the world, of all the states, of all the cities, of all the churches, God puts you here at this time and in this place. That's a little mysterious, isn't it? Why did he do that? So that people would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. That's what we say around here all the time. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. What a significant moment. This is your moment. Take the risk. Jump in. Say yes. Let me pray for you. For communion team, will take their places. Father, we recognize this moment right here, right now. October the 1st, 2023. 2012 Pleasant Valley Road. Here we sit. And we hear you. And we're ready to say yes. We're ready to participate in your kingdom. We're ready to be your hands and your feet. We're ready to speak to the world around us on your behalf, both with our words, but even more importantly, with our actions. We're ready to serve as we have been served. We're ready to give as has been given to us. We're ready to follow. We'll let you lead. God, as we come now to communion, as we celebrate the body and the blood of Jesus, we are reminded of your great love for us and how you earned the right to be our king. So God would up there, come down here and may it happen now and through us. I pray in the name of Jesus, amen.